Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 13th of May. And on this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 1981 and we travel to Rome. Where, as he entered St. Peter's Square to address an audience, Pope John Paul II was shot and critically wounded by Mehmet Ali Agka an expert Turkish gunman who was a member of the militant fascist group, the Grey Wolves. The Pope was struck four times in the abdomen and perforated his colon and small intestine multiple times. He was rushed to the Gemelli Hospital and lost nearly three quarters of his blood On the way to the hospital, he lost consciousness. And undergoing five hours of surgery, the medics performed a colostomy, temporarily rerouting the upper part of his large intestine to let the damaged lower part heal. When he briefly regained consciousness, before being operated on, He instructed the doctors not to remove his brown scapula during the operation. The wearing of the scapula is a Carmelite devotion which dates back to 1251, when Our Lady is alleged to have appeared to St. Simon's Stock in Aylesford in England. She handed him a brown woolen scapula and said, This shall be a privilege for you and all Carmelites that anyone dying in this habit should not suffer eternal fire. In time, the church extended the privilege to all laity who are willing to be invested in the brown scapula of the Carmelites and who perpetually wear it. One of the few people allowed in to see the Pope at the Chameli Clinic was one of his closest friends, the philosopher Anna Teresa Timienska, who arrived three days later to keep him company as he recovered. The Pope told her that he was convinced that the Blessed Virgin Mary had helped to keep him alive through his ordeal. He was very conscious that the assassination attempt had occurred on the feast of Our Lady of Fatima and had been predicted in the third secret of Fatima. See the podcast of May the 12th for more details. When he recovered, he would return to Fatima and place one of the bullets into the centre of Our Lady's crown as a tribute. It is still there. Later he is quoted as saying, could I forget that the event in St. Peter's Square took place on the day and at the hour when the first appearance of the Mother of Christ to the poor little peasants has been remembered for over 60 years at Fatima, Portugal? For in everything that happened to me on that very day, I felt that extraordinary motherly protection and care which turned out to be stronger than the deadly bullet. 
The gunman was caught and restrained by a nun and other bystanders until the police arrived. And he would be sentenced to life imprisonment. And while in prison on remand, Agka was widely reported to have developed an obsession with Fatima. And during the trial, he claimed that he was the second coming of Jesus Christ and called on the Vatican to release the third secret. Born in Turkey, as a youth, Mehmet Agka had become a petty criminal and a member of numerous street gangs in his hometown. He claims to have received two months of training in weaponry and terrorist attacks in Syria as as a member of the Marxist Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, paid for by the communist Bulgarian government. But after training, he went to work for the ultra-nationalist Turkish organisation, Grey Wolves. He also claimed that he was approached by the Bulgarian Secret Service and Turkish mafiosi, who offered him three million German marks to assassinate the Pope. The Bulgarian Secret Services have always protested their alleged involvement and argued that Agka's story was an anti-communist plan placed by the Grey Wolves, the Italian Secret Service and the CIA. Obviously, conspiracy theories abound. However, when KGB archivist Vasily Mitrikin defected to the United Kingdom in 1992, 11 years after the assassination attempt, he brought six full trunks of handwritten notes, which were secretly made by him during the 30 years in which he'd served as KGB archivist in the Foreign Intelligence Service. The Mitrikin archive, as it became to be known, confirms the 1981 assassination attempt against the Pope was ordered by the Soviet KGB because of his support for solidarity in Poland. The task was assigned to Bulgarian and East German agents with the Stasi to coordinate the operation and cover up the traces afterwards. KGB director Yuri Andropov was convinced that Pope John Paul II's election was the product of an Anglo-German conspiracy to undermine Soviet hegemony in largely Catholic Poland and ultimately to precipitate the collapse of the entire Soviet Union. The Pope's announcement of a pilgrimage to Warsaw fueled Andropov's apprehension and he issued a secret memorandum to to Soviet school teachers. The Pope is our enemy. Due to his uncommon skills and great sense of humour he is dangerous because he charms everyone especially journalists. Besides he goes for cheap gestures in his relations with the crowd For instance, he puts on a Highlander's hat, shakes all hands, kisses children, etc. It is modelled on American presidential campaigns. 
And because of the activities of the church in Poland, or activities designed to atheize the youth, turn them into atheists, not only can diminish, cannot, not only cannot diminish, but must intensely develop. In this respect, all means are allowed, and we cannot afford sentiments. In 1983, Poland's communist government had unsuccessfully tried to humiliate John Paul II by falsely saying that he had fathered an illegitimate child. They had drugged Irina Kizawska, a secretary of the Krakow-based weekly Catholic magazine where Karol Wotia had worked and unsuccessfully attempted to make her admit to having had sexual relationships with him. The Pope declared during a visit to Bulgaria, however, that the country's Soviet bloc-era leadership had nothing to do with the assassination attempt. Perhaps a diplomatic statement. As his secretary... Cardinal Stanislaw Dizic alleged in his book A Life with Carol that the Pope was convinced privately that the former Soviet Union was behind the attack. Following his shooting, the Pope asked people to, to pray for my brother Agka, whom I have sincerely forgiven. Soon later, the Pope and Agka met and spoke privately at the prison where he was being held. They had a private conversation and emerged as friends. The Pope was in touch with Agka's family over the years, meeting his mother in 1987 and his brother a decade later. And on the 9th of June 1997, Air Malta Flight A30 was hijacked by two men and after landing in Cologne the hijackers demanded the release of Agka. This did not happen and the hijackers surrendered. However, after serving almost 20 years of a life sentence in prison in Italy at the request of the Pope Acca was pardoned by the then Italian president, Carlo Azeglio Chiampi, in June 2000 and deported to Turkey. In 2007 he converted to Roman Catholicism and was released from prison in Turkey on the 18th of January 2010. Two days after Christmas in 2014, 33 years after his crime, Meret Aliagka publicly arrived at the Vatican to lay white roses on the recently canonised John Paul II's tomb. And he said he wanted to meet Pope Francis, a request that was denied. He manifested a desire to become a Catholic priest two years later 
and to go to Fatima, Portugal to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Marian apparitions there. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Join us tomorrow if you can. As we look at the last of the witchcraft trials held in Salem. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Please subscribe and leave a comment on the blog if you have time at www.pogp.net. And if you'd like to respond directly, then email the show on pogppod at gmail.com. Have a lovely day wherever you are. And thanks for listening.